today we're going to be reading from Jonah, um, from chapter 1, and it's on page 928 in the Church Bibles. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the, sea, that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? What, where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do? to make the sea calm down for us. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the, man did their best, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Good morning, folks. My name's Chris Webb, uh, one of the ministers here. I'm really looking forward to this series of four on Jonah. Of course, Jonah is very familiar, um, and that can be a problem. Um, who grew up looking at the, the Veggie Tales? Who's seen the Veggie Tales version of Jonah? Yeah, I think we need to clear some of the vegetation away. This really isn't a children's story. It's a deeply, deeply profound story. It's the only book of the Bible that is about a prophet from start to finish, and Jonah is a representative character. He represents the nation of Israel, and as we're going to see, he represents us too. He represents the people of God, and he's horrible. There's hardly anything good about Jonah. The book of Jonah is also unique in that it has no dates and no names. The only name 
is Jonah. The only other character who's kind of famous is the king of Nineveh, but he has no name. Now, often books in the Bible, especially the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have lots of names, lots of geographical locations, lots of history, and we can root it in history and say, this happened, this really happened at this time and place. But the book of Jonah is a different genre. And when you come to a book of the Bible, it's really important to establish what is the genre. And what is the genre of Jonah? It is a satire. In a satire, you take a character and you place them in an extremely ridiculous situation with all kinds of ridiculous things happening to them. And the character of Jonah is held up to ridicule. He is the most hard-hearted hateful person in the whole of this story. He goes to Nineveh and he preaches a five-word sermon. And everybody repents. Everybody turns to God and even the cows repent. You see, it's a satire. After that, he's so angry that God has shown mercy to people that he hates He's so angry he wants to die, and he cusses out God and calls out God because he's been too merciful. And then you have the bad guys. The bad guys in the story, the pagans, the Assyrians, they all repent. They all turn to God, and everything is kind of extreme and crazy in this story. Nobody behaves according to stereotype. Everything is over the top. And you see that in the vocabulary as well. The word that comes up most in Jonah is the word great. The city is great. The the fish is great, huge. uh, Jonah's anger is great. Jonah's happiness is great. Everything is great. This story is dynamite to wake us all up to the worst tendencies that occur in the people of God. Tribalism, racism, nationalism, apathy, anger, neglect. So we're going to look at, first of all, a bogus prophet, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 is meant to be a joke. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Jonah means dove. And Amittai means faithfulness, dove, son of faithfulness. (laughs) It's completely the opposite to what Jonah is. But Jonah is the perfect person to be the main character of this story. Jonah is mentioned in 2 Kings 14.25, and he prophesies favorably for a really bad king, Jeroboam II. He prophesies that his territory will increase. But this man, Jeroboam, was a terrible, bad king. So he's known for prophesying that Israel would expand territorially. He's a nationalistic prophet. But we see in verse 3, he's also a rebellious prophet. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Let's have a look at the map here. Look at this. Tarshish 
is kind of the equivalent to Timbuktu. He's fled to Timbuktu. Nineveh, he's supposed to go northeast. He goes directly west, completely in the opposite direction, 2,500 miles in the wrong direction. He's the only prophet in the Bible who runs away from God. Why does he run? Why does he run? Is he scared? Is he fearful? I mean, going to Assyria, going to Nineveh, where people were known for skinning people alive and impaling people, these were the great enemies of of Israel. It would be like parachuting into Gaza and saying to Hamas, you need to repent, or parachuting into Pyongyang and telling Kim Jong-un that he needs to repent, or Moscow and Vladimir Putin. But this isn't the reason why Jonah flees. We're told at the end of the book why he runs. He runs not because he's afraid, but because he thinks somehow God is going to find a way to bring mercy and forgiveness and repentance to these his enemies. That's why he runs away. Jonah doesn't want that to happen ever. And that's why he flees as far as he can. Now, God chooses to work through his people, and Jonah is being invited to step into a story that is so broad, much broader and risky and life-giving than he would ever imagine or sign up for, but he's not having any of that. He runs away, but Jonah is me, and Jonah is you, and Jonah is the people of God very often. God says to us, there's an area where I want you to grow. There's an area of sin in your life that I want you to tackle. And we say, well, not so much there, Jesus, right now. I'll go, I'll go to church. I'll come to the Sunday gathering. I'll make sure people see me at church. But that area of my life, not so much there, Jesus, right now. Jonah thinks he's running for his life, but he's actually running from his life. There's no refuge from him, only refuge in him. Jonah has a chance to participate in a movement of God's grace beyond the scope of anything that he has known. But instead of that, Jonah goes down, 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 down. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the ship. He goes down into the hold of the ship. And then he goes down into a deep sleep. So we see, thirdly, a sleeping prophet, which is the meat of our passage in verses 4 to 17. Sleep is repeated a a couple of times. Verse 5, Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Verse 6, the captain went and said, how can you sleep? In comparison to sleeping Jonah, the sailors are wide awake and alert and compassionate as well. They're yelling. They're throwing their cargo off the side of the ship because there's this this storm and they've lost all their money and they're praying. They're calling on all kinds of gods. They they realize this isn't a normal storm. This is a supernatural storm and they, they don't know what gods they've offended, but they're trying each one in turn. And they're shouting as many prayers as they can. All the while, Jonah's asleep. Where is the man of God in the storm? Well, he's descended 
into a slow, deep state of sleep. This is the artistic genius of the author here. What is he doing? He is depicting Jonah's sin and Israel's sin as descending into a deep sleep. Too apathetic. Too apathetic to pray in a storm. Scrolling through TikTok and YouTube, too apathetic, too preoccupied with that to call on God. Jonah's us. Jonah is God's people asleep at the wheel. Now, I cycle pretty much every day down the avenue into town, into church normally, or into town somewhere. But sometimes, you know, I get to the, the first set of traffic lights, and I'm like, whoa, how did I get here? I don't remember getting my bike out. I forgot my helmet again and my keys. Uh, I just don't remember. Sometimes I do it in the car as well. Ugh, how did I get here? Is it, is it just me? We have, we, have, we have an amazing capacity as human beings to do things where we're completely checked out. They, they, they become such routine things. Perhaps cycling down here is the most dangerous thing I do. I'm awake, but I'm kind of not awake. And there are parts of our lives that we can routinely do where we're checked out. And the author here is saying, you can be a prophet and completely checked out. You can call yourself a Christian and be completely checked out, apathetic, in a sleeping condition, and it's tragic. God has given Jonah a call, but he's run away because he hates Ninevites, and he thinks he knows better than God, but the choices he makes have sent him into a stupor. And sometimes the choices that we make can send us down, 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 slowly, gradually, into a spiritual stupor. Havoc and danger is all around Jonah, but he is blissfully unaware. His sleep is an image of his sin. And who suffers? Well, Jonah's not suffering. He's happy. He's asleep. He's oblivious. But everyone else is suffering. Everyone else is is in chaos because Jonah is a wrecking ball in the lives of others and he doesn't realize it. He's totally unaware. I've just read a beautiful book on John Donne. William Shakespeare is our most famous poet. John Donne is probably our second greatest poet. And John Donne, as he was dying, wrote a poem which will be familiar to you. It goes like this. No man is an island entire of itself. Each is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. And if a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. Each man's death diminishes me. Ask not for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. And he's saying that our lives are interconnected. But Jonah is so self-absorbed that he's not aware that he's a force of ruin in people's lives. And he doesn't care who gets chucked under the bus. But it gets more intense, the story. Verse 6. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we'll not perish. Jonah has to be reminded to do something as simple as pray. 
by pagan sailors. Verse 7, they, they're in turmoil and they say, let's cast lots to see who the culprit is. And the lots determine that it's Jonah. Jonah's the culprit. And so in verse 8, who are you? Where do you come from? Hey, what? Says Jonah. And then he comes up with a dry one-line answer. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. I fear Yahweh. And we, the reader, are like, bullshine, Jonah. That is nonsense. There's, what do you mean you worship the Lord? What do you mean you fear the Lord? There's a deep contradiction between what he's said and the choices that he's made. What a hypocrite. And what we have here is a mirror to our face. Have you ever had it in your life where there's a deep contradiction between what you say you believe and how you act? Oh. For me, it's on the tennis court very often. You know, I've had a hard week, and all the frustration and anger comes out then. And I know I'm a Christian, but I just want to win. And I'm not talking about the rugby. A few people have mentioned that to me this morning already. The sailors say, what have you done? And I think the text is transporting us back to the port. What are the reasons for your travel, uh, sir? Business or pleasure? Neither. I'm running away from God. Oh, welcome aboard, sir. You paid your fare. But now they're like, hold on, you're running away from God who has power over the land and sea? What do you think you're doing? And often it's, it's people outside of the church who can see the deep contradiction between what people say they believe and how they actually behave. You say you're a Christian, you can't keep smoking the marijuana, you can't keep drinking to excess, you can't keep flying off the handle at the slightest thing. Yet, on the other hand, what we see in this story is incredible grace. We're going to see that week after week. Jonah's a nightmare. Jonah's a hypocrite. He's rebellious. He's negligent. But God is not limited by that. God still uses this terrible prophet. It's, it's outrageous, scandalous grace. But the Christian message is this. God gives grace to fallen, broken, bad people. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. But in verse 11, the sailors say to Jonah, what, what should we do to make the sea calm down? Jonah says, pick me up, throw me in. I know it's my fault. What do you think of this? Do you think Jonah's had a change of heart? Oh my gosh, what have I done to other people? Or maybe, maybe he's running even further. What's the surest way of not having to go to Nineveh? Death. He requests to die again in chapter 4, so maybe it's that. The text doesn't, doesn't really make it clear. But what is clear is that the sailors think this is a terrible idea, and they try to row back to land, but they can't. In verse 14, the sailors themselves call on the Lord. And this is the first prayer that's offered in this uh, story. And it's not offered by Jonah. It's offered by these pagans. Please, God, don't let us die. It's his idea, not ours. 
Then they resolve, I guess we're going to have to do this, even though we don't want to. So verse 15, they take him and they throw him overboard, and the sea grows calm. Jonah has said that he fears the Lord. But who actually fears the Lord? Look at verse 16. It's the sailors. The men greatly, as that word again, they greatly feared the Lord, and they offered him a sacrifice. You can't do that on a ship. So the implication is that they did that in a temple and they became dedicated followers of the Lord. They turned to the Lord despite the hypocritical, rebellious, and apathetic behavior of his servant. How extraordinary. How scandalous. This is grace. I know it in my own life. I'm a hypocrite, people. I'm messed up, just like Jonah. God has allowed me, too, to lead several people to Jesus Christ in my life. That doesn't give us a license to be hypocrites and be a wrecking ball, but it is a testament to God's extraordinary and scandalous grace and his extraordinary methods. Jonah has, been, has missed being a part of the sailor's conversion because he's totally tuned out in his stupor. But does he wake up? Does Jonah wake up? Look at the final line, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Inside the fish, as we're going to see next week, Jonah is very alive and very awake He couldn't have gone any further to the bottom. He'd gone down to Joppa, down to the ship, down into the hold of the ship, down into a deep sleep, down into the sea, and then down into the belly of a whale, a sea beast. And you think it's all over. And it would be if we were dealing with any other God. But this is the God of extraordinary grace. And the moment of his death, becomes the moment of new birth to give him new life and a second chance, and that is the gospel. Jesus himself appealed to this moment in the story when people were asking for a sign, a miracle, and he said, no, no, no sign's going to be given to you except the sign of Jonah, the son of Matt. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the sea beast three days and three nights, so the son of man will be in the belly of the earth for three days, three nights, and then he will rise again. Jesus compares and contrasts himself to Jonah. He's the true Jonah. He's the opposite of Jonah. So just in the last two minutes, let's think about the true prophet, the saving prophet. We've seen this bogus, rebellious, sleeping prophet. Let's think about the true Jonah. While Jonah was utterly selfish, Jesus was utterly self-giving. While Jonah ran away from God, when God said to Jesus, you need to go to the cross, you need to purchase salvation for people by shedding your blood, Jesus said to his disciples, I lay my life down. No one takes it from me, I lay it down of my own accord. And in the the Garden of Gethsemane, he battled with this, but he went through with it. So, how do you and I wake up spiritually? What does Jonah do? No. Wrong question. 
Jonah does nothing. He sits at the bottom of everything. All he does is throw up his hands and wake up to the fact that he is helpless and hypocritical and apathetic. And this is good news for people like us. Coming to Jesus for you this morning might mean coming to him and saying, Lord, I am drowsy, I am screwed up, I notice that I haven't, I haven't been weeping about the lost, I haven't had a passion for, for people who are broken and far from you, I'm unconcerned really about your kingdom, wake me up, Lord, forgive me. Praying that for the young adults on the weekend away right now, wake them up, Lord, wake them up. Renew them. Or perhaps this is a word, I know actually it is a word, and I know I'm speaking prophetically now. This is a word for someone who is sitting at the bottom of everything. You've hit rock bottom. You've hit rock bottom. And you see no way out. Jesus, the Lord of all grace, can work with that. You need to call out to him to the extent that you realize how lost and how broken you are and how much you need him, to that extent, he'll give you his grace.